Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. I'm super excited to continue the series talking to these amazing entrepreneurs around the world and globally and it's just so exciting to have these conversations with so many different people and I'm very very happy to have Anna Jepson on the show today. Anna is a writer, an art director and a recipe developer. She's based in San Francisco. She believes her true calling in life is to cultivate conversations around feminism that favor diversity and tolerance, igniting healing and rest restoration to women around the world. Her site, The Feminist, was born out of the idea that we all have a seat at the table, be it every religion, race, career, and call has equal say in the conversation on feminism, and that every story matters. When she isn't working, she's typically in the kitchen testing and shooting a recipe or having dinner with friends. She's currently working on her first docu-series project, which I will be asking her about right at the end. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Anna on the show. Exactly what inspired you, Anna, um, to start these conversations with feminism? Did you have specific inspirations and what inspired you to start the blog yeah um i think there are there are a lot of things actually that have kind of accumulated over the years and the blog was actually a first step to a much larger vision a much larger project that i've always wanted to do but um i think truly the catalyst for 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 what the feminist is and what i want it to be and the principles that it stands on was um a trip to india actually um, and I worked, I lived there for about three months and I worked with kids that were living on the streets in Delhi. Um, and I think, I don't know, there were a lot of experiences that I had there, both with women and girls, uh, people my age, uh, older, younger, just kind of across the board. But um, I remember reading an article in Vanity Fair on the way over from London which is a really long flight and to fly all the way from the States to India is, is really far. Um, and I remember reading an article, I think I still have uh, the magazine actually, it's in my bedside table at my parents' house still. It's a Vanity Fair magazine with Angelina Jolie on the cover and it's a stunning photo and I've always been a really big fan of hers. And on the way to India, I was reading this article and she was just talking about the world and about her opinions on adoption and people and children and the work that there is to be done. And I was so inspired by her. I think I, I really, really resonate with her a lot on, on that topic as far as children go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just put my heart in the right place. And then when I landed in India, um, this is, I don't think is a normal occurrence. I'll be totally honest. And you can tell me, <laughs> I don't think this is normal, but when I got on the plane in Delhi, there weren't that many women in the airport, like to the point where I was like, there are only a few of us that I can actually see in this airport right now. And maybe it was the wing that we were in, you know, the terminal. I don't really know, but it just struck me because I had never as an American been in a space where that existed before. So it could have just been dumb luck, could have been God's timing. It could have been the like the way that that terminal actually kind of runs. I have no idea, mm-hmm. but it was just this thing that really, um, it just really set the tone for the rest of my trip there. Um, and there were, you know, at that point I had already been very involved in girls education and, um, wanting to stand up for girls around the world who don't necessarily have the opportunity to speak for themselves, or maybe their communities don't know any better. Um, and so this trip, the, the trip that I took in 2014 was really, um, kind of a solidifier of that. Um, and then when I got back, 
I just had this, this thought of the way that Western feminism is, has formed essentially and now functions. Um, there's so much good in it, but there's also a lot of muddiness. And I think the implications of feminism globally are so much more powerful, quite frankly, than me breaking the glass ceiling or me being a CEO. Those are wonderful things. I don't want to take away from that, but I mean, true feminism believes in equality and true feminism believes that, you know, all people are created equal, mm-hmm. especially women um, and girls and making, you know, taking a stand for that. And so for me, calling the site The Feminist, I really wrestled with that for a while. Um, when I got back to the States, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to rename my, my site and how I wanted to position it. Um, but I knew that I wanted to talk about women and I wanted to give women a space to share their stories. And I thought, well, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to put feminist in the title, but I'm also obsessed with French culture. I think it's so lovely, all these things, French food, French fashion. And the idea of the feminists just came to me in, you know, just with one of those random things. And I sat on it for a couple of days and it's like, you know what, I'm just going to go into this and this is what I'm going to call it. And it could be controversial, but I think it's <laughs> going to be a great conversation started. You know, I think it's yeah. going to be a place where yeah, have really good conversations about something and maybe even people will question it. So, um, you know, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but basically I think that, you know, I've always been a really social justice oriented person and, um, Mm. India has had a huge role in that, um, as well as some other people I really admire and the feminists just kind of formed, you know, over time as it did when I got the courage to actually push it live. Mm. Well, I mean, you said so many interesting things, but, um, I have to say that, yes, India, I mean, I found that being from London and when I came to India, I think it's very um, heavily, uh, heavily based on, on like status differences as well, according to how people are treated. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially even in, even in my profession, even in entertainment here, there's a clear distinction between um, levels of success, if you like, and um, the way that a spot boy might be treated to, to a star. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it originates from that. Unfortunately, a lot of these, um, a lot of the inequality part of it. Um, yeah. And and yes, you mentioned how important equality is in general, and I I find that like to be a very heavy word because I think if we look at the world, there is so much inequality, unfortunately. But if we look at it in terms of faith, um, you know, in any faith, I feel like equality is actually heavily given importance but it's interesting that that doesn't translate in the world mm-hmm. um but with movements like the time's up movement which which has been very prominent in the state it's been less prominent here in india um you know really encouraging women to unite and speak up about equal treatment in the workplace as well mm-hmm. do you see that being a very positive movement which has happened off late and which can potentially change the future for men and women in the workplace? Or do you think it's more sort of like a, um, you know, it, it's just a phase that's come and it's, it's gone. What would your opinion be on that? Yeah, I definitely don't think it's come and gone. I think that it was kind of, of um, it was kind of like an ax that broke the door wide open or maybe even, you know, a fire that burned the house down. Mm-hmm. And now we have new ground. Um, we, have this, we have this new ground and we're trying to rebuild. Um, and a lot of conversations I have here, actually, one of my biggest, one of my biggest kind of concerns right now, as far as the feminist movement goes, is um, how are we making, and this is going to sound a little strange as a, as a feminist, and as a woman, but 
how are we making men feel in this conversation? Hmm. Um, because if we are making men feel like they can't speak up, if we're making them feel like they are less than, if we're making them feel um, like they can't compliment us or encourage us, um, then I think we're doing something wrong. I think the last thing that we would want to do as women um, would be to scare people away from feminism or scare people away from justice. And I think um, the best way to have those conversations is, is just kind of one-on-one -on -one and with your, within your own community. But um, to really answer your question, I think that the Me Too movement and just kind of where we are in feminism is in a really good space. Yeah. I, I really would hope that that men, the, the, the good men are seeing this as a time to step up, as a time for them to stand next to their women, stand next to women in general and say, no, I'm going to stand by her. I'm going to support her in her dreams or I'm going to fight, um, you know, for what she believes in and I'm going to fight against someone who attacks her or anything that attacks her. But then yeah. it also is a big wake up call for the bad ones out there, the bad men out there. And um, you know, unfortunately, that just really is the case. There are a, a lot of men that have made some really, really poor choices towards women um, that have really fueled feminism and fueled um, Me Too specifically. And I think that that fuel is very, is very valid and is very real. Um, and I think this is something that I say all the time is that any social justice movement is, is kind of rooted and founded in profound hurt. And I think that if everybody who didn't understand feminism came to a feminist and said, okay, I don't understand, but I understand that you could have been hurt by a man. You could have been hurt by structures in place in patriarchy. Uh, you could have been hurt by the way, um, you know, the media has portrayed you. There are all these different things. Um, I'm not saying every woman has been hurt, you know, by the world and that's why she's a feminist. But I do think that there's a, there's a truth to profound hurt and social justice. Um, and I think that if we can have that attitude in this conversation, um, and in the way that we're talking to other women and the way that we're talking to other men, I would hope that no matter the environment, whether it's workplace, church, uh, you know, acting classes or pottery classes, whatever that is, that we can just be really tolerant and accepting of each other. Yeah. Um, but I think my, my biggest fear is that we're swinging a pendulum and men are afraid Mm -hmm. And I have a coworker actually who will really politely say, Hey, that, that's a really nice dress or Hey, you really crushed that crushed that project. you got that done super fast and I'm really impressed with it and things like that. That's totally fair. And mm -hmm. that is really well received. And I don't want there ever to be a time in feminism or in, in our world where men don't feel like they can affirm or encourage women. You know, I think that, that that needs to exist. I think there needs to be kind of that justice for the wrongdoing, but also the space for grace to learn. And mm -hmm. then um, the, the kind of the affirmation and growth. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I know you mentioned that, that you know, there has been um, many men who have, you know, stood by their women and, and, and supported the movement as well. But in regards to your website, The Feminist Den, has, has it sort of strike conversations with, with men and women both, or are your audience primarily women? And do you think men would be as receiving and accepting of, of the content that you're discussing and the conversations that you're having? Yeah. Um... I think it's what's really interesting is, you know, I would say my followers and my readers are primarily um, female. Mm 
mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, but when I bring up a question or certain pieces that I've written, um, whether that's for a magazine or the site, et cetera, I always get really interesting responses from men. Um, okay. And I'm always so encouraged by that because I feel like it takes a lot of courage for them yeah. to kind of step up and either say something, but I haven't had anyone directly oppose me. I've had women directly oppose me, (laughs) but I haven't had men directly oppose me, which is really interesting. Um, Actually, my brother and my dad have, and two of probably the men that I admire the most in my life, just incredible men that love God with their whole heart and are incredible husbands and fathers. And they have a hard time understanding why I stand by the word feminism so much and um, why I kind of built a website and a career basically on this idea. And I think a lot of that has to do with conservative ideals that they have. Um, But I, you know, I live in San Francisco, they don't. And I live in probably one of the most liberal cities in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a city where anything goes, you can come here and be anything that you want. And um, I think that, I've been really blessed to meet a lot of men who are really down to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes a little scared of the word feminism, to be honest, which is again, kind of why I chose the name the feminist, because I think that there's a lot of assumptions associated with the word. And I think that there's a lot of kind of redemption to be had for that. Um, But I've met a lot of men here who are super encouraged um, by either what I'm trying to do or quite frankly, they're just really impressed by strong women and they're looking for strong women, whether that's as friends or as someone to marry. Um, a lot of them quite honestly that I meet here are just looking for, for friends, um, who are really strong and really passionate about what they're doing. Um, but there are, there are really only a couple of men that I feel like I can really have a great conversation about this with. Um, which I think should change, you know, and I think that's our job, um, you know, you as an actress, as a speaker, as a writer, as all these things, and me as a writer and a speaker and all, you know, anything that I want to be able to be doing. I think it's our job to try and cultivate those spaces so that they feel safer, so that, um, I don't know, that they can see the light even, you know, a little bit more, um, that it can just be a more inclusive conversation. Yeah, I absolutely, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it is our responsibility not to not to cut them off from these conversations that enable them to partake in them. Um, mm-hmm. Changing the conversation slightly to a to a business standpoint, then, of course, you know you're 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 a writer and you're a businesswoman yourself. I mean, you've got your hands in so many pies, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. And anything freelance obviously comes comes along with a, a lot of challenges, um, especially. I think I have a lot of admiration for women who have started something from scratch because I think it, that takes a different kind of courage as well to be independent and um, create something of your own and, you know, without sort of enabling any, any outside force to block you and just really take off and, and, and start something of, of your own. I think that's wonderful. So when you, when you did have these business ideas that you have and you wanted to execute them, um, what sort of challenges did you go through? And therefore, because of your experience, what advice would you give to somebody starting out, especially as a writer or a filmmaker or somebody in, in this space, which, um, you know, you can easily relate to because of your experiences? Because it, it, it's tough. I think when you're passionate about something, um, a lot of creatives really struggle with understanding how to convert that into a business. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally relate to that. That I'm, I'm like creative to the core, tons of vision and 
and, you know, really can have a hard time like with the, the smaller goals. Um, and so I think that actually is a great like segue into the, into the answer, but I, um, I think that one of the biggest things of advice that I would give to someone who is wanting to start something is have vision. Do have a clear vision and a purpose statement of what you want to do, but hold it with open hands. So meaning, um, you know, you could start uh, a film or start a documentary and you want to go one way, but you know, fate and life and God might just take it another way. Cause that's the story that needs to be told. Um, and I think just kind of holding that really openly and allowing that to happen. I think there's a balance between being very ambitious, very clear headed and having vision. Um, and then kind of saying, but you know what, I want what's best for the project or I want what's best for the people. Um, in, in my case, it's, it's very much something that I've had to hold openly, um, because it, it really has to do with the stories, right? Mm. I, I, I can't. I can't make it be what I need it or want it to be because what matters are these women, they matter. And so the way that their stories are going to come to me or be told back out, that is more important than the way that I want it to be perceived or the way that I want the site to look or be perceived or even the trajectory of what that success or not success looks like, right? Mm -hmm. I actually had to take about a year and a half off um, and kind of just, I took myself off of Instagram. I didn't update the site for a long time because I was just going through a lot of, of personal stuff. And also, quite frankly, I needed to kind of reposition the vision. You know, um, For me, what I really want the, the feminists to focus on is faith and feminism. And I think that there's diversity in, there should be space for diversity in the movement to talk about faith. And yet it's one thing that is, I think, quite honestly, very much missing. Um, and so it just took me a long time to figure out what, what is it that I really want it to look like and how, how is that going to kind of come across? Um, so I think giving yourself the space to discover that too, it's a process. Mm -hmm. Everything is a learning process and it's never going to look exactly the way you want it. Um, you know, I can, from a photography standpoint and a, sty a styling standpoint, um, I'm a food photographer and a food stylist mm -hmm. amongst other things as well. But um, that's kind of what I do for like more my, less my day job and with the design as well. And so um, I've had to learn that everything just, it changes over time for the better. You get better at speaking, you get better at writing, you get better at styling. And the best thing to do is just start, have your vision, hold it with open hands, allow it to mature and allow it to kind of morph into what it needs and wants to be over time. I think you'll just have so much more peace. If you do that, I put so much pressure on myself. I have always put so much pressure on myself <laughs> to be excellent from the get go, you know? Yeah. And I think we can shoot for excellence, but when it comes down to it, if you're giving your best foot forward and you're giving your whole heart into something, that's excellence in that moment. And that's good enough. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the best you can do. And that's great. That's all everybody wants from you, you know? Um, and I had, I had to go through a lot to kind of get myself to that point and give myself the grace of, you know, Anna, this doesn't look exactly the way you want it but this is good right now. This is what it needs to be. This is what's going to bless people or this is where you need to be in your life right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love what you said about reposition the vision. I think that's um, such a great way to put it. Um, and it's, yeah, surrendering to something, I guess, which is much, much bigger than you and realizing that I think I, I mean, I'm a bit of a control freak for sure. So I find that very difficult. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, you, you mentioned, you mentioned like, the idea of also having, you know, faith, having grace in the process. Um, so I, I, I've done a couple of series which are really centered uh, on faith. And I did speak to quite a few women about the impact of faith in their life, especially in moments of adversity. 
So I know you just said that you, you went off social media. I find that so interesting because a lot of people are doing that. They're taking a bit of a, some intentional, intentionally taking a fast and some not so much intentional. It's just, you know, they are going through something and then they take a step back from all the other responsibilities they have, which of course is, um, is absolutely fine. Um, but in your experience, um, how important is it when, when, you're, when you're taking decisions generally, whether it be in the workplace or relationships in your personal life and anything, how crucial is it to navigate from that sort of core belief standpoint mm. and in, enable decisions to really come out of that core? Because I feel like with faith, it's such a strong thing that if, if you do have that as your center, you know, your decisions at least are are all sort of navigated from that same standpoint. But for those who don't have that sense of faith, um, I think they feel very lost. And there's no kind of promises to hold on to. So as someone of faith, you know, we're we're very lucky to to be able to have that. But um, how how much have you allowed this to determine all the decisions that you have made? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. I feel like that's one of those questions that you could just unpack for like 10 hours. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, you're catching me in an interesting time because, you know, I, I've grown up as a Christian and it's really important to me. Um, it is definitely a, a very large kind of um, definitive part of my life. And yet I'm in this space where I'm questioning if the Christianity or the evangelicalism that I grew up with is, is the one that I necessarily want to, mm. uh, you know, subscribe to. And I think, you know, at the end of everything without getting into apologetics and getting into doubts and all these things, what it really comes down to is this is still something that I believe in because I believe in grace and I would rather choose grace than judgment. Um, even though, you know, those things can, can exist together. But I think for, for me, having having this this grace that covers me no matter where i go what i do um allows me to kind of make mistakes it allows me to not get things perfect allows me to not be perfect um it allows me to kind of move forward full steam ahead and also say but okay whatever you want to be done here you know and so i think that there have been a lot of decisions that i've made um that i've kind of made because I, I prayed a lot about it and this was something that I really felt like my heart was stirring me towards and uh, stirring me too. But I think the thing that we do so often as people, no matter what your religion is, is we, we create a narrative based out of a decision or a dream. And then that becomes our reality. When in reality, it's really small. Like whatever we have today is all we have today. So we can make those choices now to get us to where we want to be in the future. And I think I've had to kind of dial back a lot of my big questions, a lot of my big dreams and that, I've, you know, all the prayers that I've had um, and say, you know, God, what do you want me to do with the gifts that you've given me, with the vision that you've given me today? How do I do this today? Obviously, there have been so many beautiful, wonderful things that God has done in my life to orchestrate where I am. I definitely felt without a doubt that I was supposed to move to San Francisco and I just knew it in my gut, prayed about it. And long story short, I moved here a month after a month and a half after I felt like I was called here. Mm. Um, and so there are definitely moments where God has said, this is going to be something in your life, but also trying to, to be in a space where I'm like, okay, God, I understand that this is what you want for me. 
Um, but I don't know what that actually looks like. So all I'm going to look at is today. All I'm going to do is be faithful with today. And that means talking to men and women about feminine, feminism and gender. And, um, you know, a lot of things that are maybe taboo um, or just don't have a lot of light in them right now. Um, and I think that God honors that. And so I think for me, like, it's, it's really strange. Faith is so big and such a big driving force of everything that I do. But then at the same time, I dial it back and it's just day to day, you know, and it's just this faithfulness that I try to do. And sometimes it's not, I mean, sometimes faith isn't, isn't great. Like it's hard, <laughs> you know, there are, there are things where I, there are times when I'm like, I don't know if this is what I, what I want to be doing right now, but I know that this is what I really want in the long run. Right. Um, and I know that, that this thing that I believe in is going to bless people in the long run. Um, so I think it's, it's very much a part of who I am and, and the decisions that I make, but, um, I try to, I try now to keep it much more just day to day prayers, decisions type of a, of a vision. If that, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yes. Yes, of course. And, and you, you have sort of answered this already, but when, when, can you share a specific, was there a specific time, um, when you went through a period of adversity and it was really just because of the faith that you, you did get through and, and were able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I actually just came out of a really crazy season all, um, all of last year, basically all of 2018 was really, really hard for me. Um, I had had a job that I absolutely loved. I was kind of creative director at a startup um, and was really running the creative team. I was doing photography, styling, graphic design, and I was running photo shoots the whole bit. Um, and I really, really loved it. And it just at some point became a very toxic work culture and everybody knew it. I think the, the founders knew it. Um, everybody working there knew it. And it was really, really hard for me. My parents came to visit and they were kind of like, who, who are you? You know, where's Anna? You're not here. I was so stressed out. I was having terrible anxiety, which is not who I am. I'm not a woman or a person who really gets anxiety often and when I do it's usually because I'm in a space or whether that's like you know mentally or physically in a space that is not healthy for me um, and in this case it was I was physically in a space that was not healthy for me and it was at this workplace where I was working you know I don't know 60 hour work weeks um, and eventually um, I needed some extra help and long story short they hired the help that I wanted and they let me go and I felt so um, wronged, you know, at first I didn't quite feel wronged, but then afterwards I just, when it really came down to it, down to it I just felt so wronged that they would hire someone who I wanted, I wanted to hire because she was a much more skilled designer. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, my desire was to take over high level content for the team and, you know, keep start doing styling and photography for the team and, um, but just kind of be the overall creative lead. And she's a, this great, strong designer. And they ended up kind of looking at it as, well, she's a stronger designer. So we're just going to give Anna the boot and we're going to keep her on. Um, and, and I understand from a business standpoint what they were trying to do, but it just felt, you know, it's just hurt so much. I put my heart and soul into something. Um, and then to just be really like, it was kind of like they didn't care about me and they didn't care about the work. And so that was really hard. I had to process a lot of that. I've since have spoken to them and actually have seen them around the city and you know, there's no hard feelings. Um, but after that I was unemployed for a long time. I, I worked as a freelancer. 
um, I, which was great. I loved freelancing. It was super fun. I got to do a lot of great projects, but that stress and anxiety that comes with not having the solidity of like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to have a, a nine to five or I'm going to have a job lined up, you know, this week, this week, and this week, which I know acting or producing, directing, <laughs> sound, all of that, like everything in the film world works like that. At least that's how it is in LA with a bunch of my friends. And so I, I know that that's not just a design industry. That's, you know, it's very much in the film and music industry as well. So there's just a lot of stress that comes along with that. Um, and I was just going through like a lot of spiritual heaviness, emotional heaviness. It was really, really hard. Um, and I really needed to rely on my family and my faith community to kind of remind me like, Hey, this is just a season. Cause I kind of wanted to curl into a ball mm-hmm. and, and just be like kind of done. I just wanted to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to just go move to a hut in Alaska or something and, and just not work anymore. And I'm just going to be by myself. And I had to have friends that encouraged me that would kind of like make me cocktails or they would make me wine or we'd take me out to dinner or just, you know, something fun. Mm. Um, and I needed that in my life uh, just to kind of keep things lighthearted and keep me grounded. Um, and I think your faith can really only be as strong as your community, um, which, which I'm really blessed to have really a really great community here. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And yeah, for sure. I think community is something I just didn't think was so important either, but I've, I've realized uh, over the last couple of years how important it really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, you also mentioned, I mean, like I said, you have your hands in, in multiple things, which is amazing. And, and talking about a bit about food now, you've, um, you've got a clear passion for cooking and being in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> just, just a little <laughs> just a little. Um, was this always there? Did something trigger it? Were you inspired by someone? Were you growing up around food? And, and so how did this sort of happen? And um, what, what are your plans in relation to food in the future? Yeah, yeah. So food for me has been something that I have just always done. I've always gravitated towards it. I have always really enjoyed hosting, really enjoyed kind of experimenting with flavor and techniques. Um, but I think for me, some of my earliest childhood memories were making snickerdoodles with my great-grandmother, um, molasses cookies with my great-grandmother, chocolate chip cookies, brownies with my mom. Um, my Nana once taught me how to do Thanksgiving dinner. I stayed at her house one night. I think it was probably in high school or college. I think high school, actually. And I don't know what that is in India because I, I don't think it was <laughs> in high school. I, I don't know. Um, but we, so I was a teenager. I was probably like 16. Um, but she taught me how to do that. And so I think for, for, for our family, food is just so ingrained into how we live in community and how we live together. Mm-hmm. When we all get together, there's just a spread of food and there are games and there's usually wine and we just, we just sit together and we live life together. And it's just a very kind of natural expression and natural outflow of who we are. But my grandparents, um, I have, you know, I have two sets of grandparents and one set, were are incredible cooks. I mean, we're talking chefs. And so I grew up having these wonderful Sunday night dinners at their house. And we would do anything from ribs to like chicken cordon bleu. We would have creme brulee. We would have French onion soup. And we, we would kind of go all over the place. It was the first time I experienced what edible flowers were. Mm-hmm. Um, she had this garden 
they, they moved from that house. They now live in, in Florida, but they had this beautiful garden with basil and we would make our own homemade pesto. And so those younger years being in that garden and, um, making these dinners on Sunday nights. And I remember sitting by a fire and waiting for dinner to be ready and watching football. And those were so formidable, those moments in those years of what food is because food was immediately tied to family and community and vulnerability. Um, and it's just a really, really sweet thing for me. So one of my visions is to be able to use food to kind of cultivate really good conversation. Um, and that's kind of what the feminist is. It's supposed to be this kind of balance between, hey, you love food, I love food, can you share your story? And I think that food is this universal equalizer. Um, and everybody can relate to food, everybody needs to eat, right? <laughs> so I think the idea of having, having you over and sitting at my kitchen table and saying, hey, tell me about, tell me about like your experiences as an actress in, you know, in the film industry and how has being a woman affected that? And then how has being a woman of faith really shaped your ideas of what feminism are and kind of the conversations that can come from a dinner that we're having and literally breaking bread with each other. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, and then I obviously have, you know, my own, my own career goals that I want to do is I want to write a cookbook. I would love to have kind of, you know, like a talk show someday. I, um, want to do, you know, a kind of a bunch of things with it, but I, I want to be open handed and kind of see what food as the conduit, you know, for conversation can, can kind of do. Wow. Wow. I can definitely relate to, um, to the, the, the grandma stories. I mean, yeah. yeah. Mine is also like just an, such an amazing cook. I just wish that I could um, even attempt to um, cook something as great as she does. Um, uh, it's not always the case. Like it's just never as good as grandma's dreamies or mom's. It's just never quite there. Definitely, definitely. And and you mentioned you're you're doing um, a docu series project. Is that something that you can tell us a little bit about, or is it sort of all yeah. under? Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's really early stages and I'm still looking, I'm basically still looking for the partners to kind of be a part of it. Okay. Um, but basically it's, it's a little bit of what I, what I just said. Um, it's using food as the conduit for conversation mm -hmm. about faith and feminism and saying, you know, I under, I understand that we come from different cultures and that you are a Muslim woman that lives in, you know, France as a refugee but your story matters. It doesn't matter that we are, you know, from, from different sides of the world or from different uh, religious, religious backgrounds. Your story matters because you matter to God, so you matter to me. And as a Christian, for me, that's all, that's all, that's the only way I operate. Um, it's not my job to judge. It's not my job to try to figure out where a person is going to land in the scheme of the kingdom or of heaven and hell. It's just my job to love that person and make sure that after we had a conversation, they felt like, wow, Anna heard me in that moment. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but like, that's my goal. So for the docu-series, I basically want to interview different women from around the world, from all different religious backgrounds, and basically have them cook me whatever they want, you know, go into their, into their hut in Nepal or go into their mansion in Thailand and have them cook me something that is, you know, a family recipe or something that they just cook all the time. And have them tell me their story, you know? Um, I think that that is how we're going to find healing. That's how we're going to find tolerance in the movement. That's how we're just going to learn to love each other better. Um, as cheesy as that last part sounds, I think it's just really true. And for me, this is just a way that I feel really, um, feel really vulnerable, but I also feel very comfortable 
mm-hmm. around a kitchen table with people. And I've kind of said this for a while that I think that there's a, something sacred. There's like a sacred space around kitchen tables and this kind of this like sacredness around sharing meals together when you're intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's basically what I want the docu series to be. I want to partner with women who are down to make this happen, who want to share their stories, who want me to come to their part of the world and we can just sit to get down together. Maybe a little bit of kind of Anthony Bourdain meets Go Rising <laughs> type of a thing. I'm not sure if you've heard of that documentary, but um, yeah, a little, a little, kind of a little bit of everything, a little bit of social justice, a little bit of journalism, uh, kind of all tied together. Wow, that that really sounds amazing. It it sounds like it sounds like whatever you're doing, you're really tapping into your purpose, and I think that's always amazing to see. Um, and and thank you. I mean, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you for sharing your story, and uh, definitely keep us posted because I would love to just stay in the loop with what you're doing and, you know, share that on my social media as well. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I will be tagging Anna. Of course she is on Instagram as well. I'll be tagging her account and, uh, you can shoot her some questions directly. If you have any more questions for her, I'm sure she'll be happy. Yes. To respond. Please do. Any stories you want to share, you know, any questions that you have, any qualms you have with anything that I said, please <laughs> send them my way. Um, would love to chat. Um, this has been so lovely just to be able to talk to someone about all of these things. And I just feel so honored to, to be able to share this time. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. I want to do a quick, quick, quick rapid fire just to end yeah, let's do it. Um, just something fun. What would your favorite thing be to do on a day off when you don't have a hundred things to do or you're not in the kitchen or would it be to be in the kitchen <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, uh, probably be in the kitchen um <laughs> my favorite thing to do is um there's an area of the city um that that has this building called the ferry building which is just down by the water down by all the piers um so i love walking or driving to the ferry building and walking around there getting um um, a gluten-free croissant because I have a gluten allergy. Um, getting a croissant and walking around, probably listening to like Frank Sinatra or some kind of old music because I'm an old soul, and just sitting and reading, and then maybe picking up some groceries and coming back and making dinner for friends. I mean, my most favorite memories are truly at you know dinners that start at seven and people leave at one in the morning, and you drink wine <laughs> and you have dinner. I mean, that's truly my perfect day. Wow. Wow. That sounds, that sounds lovely. And, and what, what do you do each day, Anna? Because I think like we've, I've just, I also did a series which was really targeted at mental health and well-being. Is there something that you do each day for yourself, which is really about you taking care of yourself and your own well-being? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I live really close to a park here, a beautiful park. Um, and I don't do this every day, but I'd say probably five days a week. I get up, I'm a morning person. I kind of wake up at the crack of dawn, 6, 6.30, I'm just awake. I lay in bed for a while, I think I journal, whatever. But um, one of the things I love to do is go on long walks in yeah. the park here. Um, and most of the time I listen to music. I just clear my head, I go for a walk. Sometimes I pray, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just let my thoughts wander. I dream, sometimes I think, I just look at nature. But it's just such a cathartic and kind of thought-clearing time for me and it's just it's getting the fresh air you know moving it's always it's always so good yeah no definitely definitely mm-hmm. I think I think walking is great in general oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um so we've I, I suppose I've already asked you what you'd like to do next and you have we have spoken about that you'd like to have a chat show and the cookbook and 
I won't, yeah. I won't ask you that again, but just to, just to complete it, um, if you had to complete the sentence, I love being an entrepreneur because... Mm. Because you don't know the future. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it's something like kind of to circle it all the way back. I can have the vision, right? And I can have the dreams, which are, have been given to me with, with a lot of purpose, but it's going to end up probably looking like something different. And that's so exciting to me. <laughs> I mean, I just want to see where it's going to go. You know, I mean, that said, I also love being an entrepreneur because it allows me to have a little bit of control over the life that I want to live. You know, I can cultivate what that's going to look like within my own corner of the universe and then see what's going to water it and what it's going to grow into, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. so true. I mean, that's amazing. It's just amazing to, to have that standpoint. It really is. And I'm sure it's taken a lot of process to get to that place of surrender. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I, I, I love that. It's very inspirational. Um, thank you so much, Anna, for doing this. Thank you for taking time out. I know we're in, in different parts of the world, but it's just amazing because of technology, we're able to connect like this. I know. It's the coolest thing. I'm so happy that we got in touch and that we were able to chat. Um, such, a, such a cool thing. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Take care. And it was lovely talking to you. Yep. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. And that was the end of another episode on the Elevation series. I'm super excited about next Sunday. Do stay tuned. And for all updates regarding the podcast Unplug with Annie, do follow and like the page Unplug with Annie on Instagram and Facebook. We're now on 10 platforms, including Spotify, Anchor and iTunes.